Welcome back to the Human Exception. This week we're talking about the vicious murder bird that is the cassowary. And as you will find out, it's not so vicious and not so murdery. As usual, expect your foul language and let's get ready for another Human Exception. All right, so for my thing, um, as you guys know, I was kind of originally kind of working on a case of a missing person that's kind of close to people that I know. Uh, but then I, which did seem like there wasn't much to it. And then I found out that there is a book then in the Rare Collections library, um, in our library here, um, that has some more information on it. So I'm gonna go check that out on Friday. So I had to do something else entirely different. <laughs> Um, which is going to start with the question. Okay. What do you think is the first bird that humans farmed? I want to say ostriches, but Close. it's only, it's only because that's insane. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not answering this because I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Obviously we think about chickens or geese or ducks, the things that we obviously still farm today. And we've got records that we farmed geese as far back as 7,000 years, and chickens, 7,400. Dang. And apparently we've been farming pigeons going back 10,000 years. What? But recent evidence indicates that there's another bird that we farmed 18,000 years ago. Cassowary. Oh my god, the weird bonehead <laughs> birds. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't know what a cassowary is, it's... It's one of those big flightless birds related to the emus and ostrich. People don't hear about it as much, but um, yeah, large flightless bird. Not as big as their ostrich cousins, but not smaller either. Females of the largest species are known to reach six and a half feet in height. Weigh 130 pounds. <laughs> um, they can run 50 kilometers or 30 miles per hour. I gotta go. I gotta leave. That's <laughs> that's nature wants you dead, and the thing has it looks like a fucking dinosaur. Like, and they, they can jump terrible. five feet in the air. How many? Five feet. I'm I'm out. I'm I. That's like <laughs> so. So on top of the six and a half feet, it can go to almost twelve feet. Yep. Uh uh. So female cassowaries have all the power. They choose who they mate with, and they are 25% larger than the males. And when they lay their eggs, it's the males that hatch and raise the young. The pri they primarily eat fruit, fungi, insects, and small critters, and they're known to live 40 to 50 years. Weird fact, they don't have tongues. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mind is already blown. I love weird animal facts, and the oh, little kid... Like zoology kid in me is like, yes, more, more, more. I want a bird that could kill me. Like, <laughs> don't worry, I've got sounds for you because they make oh fucking weird God. sounds. Yes, that'll listen. Okay, I love these things. They're so bizarre. Okay, cassowary calls. Here we go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Courtney's not here, I'd be like, that's the horns of Anchorage. That's <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Just some fucking cassowaries in Alaska. <laughs> what? How does it make that boom? Yeah, so cassowaries communicate through a range of hissing, rumbling, coughing, and booming noises, and the main purpose, we think, is usually to attract and court a mate during breeding seasons, or warn other cassowaries of their presence, or assist in communication between fathers and chicks. The low-frequency booming calls of the southern cassowary are at the bottom end of the human hearing. At 32, 32 Hz, they are the lowest known vocalization of all birds and have been described as strange or unsettling by people who have heard them. <laughs> <laughs> A, B, or C, all of the above. Yeah. It's yeah. Not... <laughs> so these low-frequency sounds, known as infrasound, are thought to travel over long distances, even through dense rainforest foliage. Elephants and emus also communicate via infrasound, and so does the kakapoo. Kakapoo. Yes. Parrot. So. And they make weird-ass sounds, too. <laughs> yeah, right? That's, when I saw the whole thing of the boom, like, this is, that reminds me so much of them. Amazing. So they're native to New Guinea, um, the Aru Islands, and Australia. There are three living species. And obviously, like you said, one look at the bird, it looks like a freaking dinosaur. Obviously, that shows the pictures. Oh my gosh. One's trying to eat like a whole banana. Wow. Yes, they do. The colors, though. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. That, that, that bone. Is that bone on the head? That's a, that it's a, bone? yeah, it's a, it's a bone. Yeah. Crest. Like a crest. Yeah. What? Oh, look at the, oh my gosh. So the three different species. Wow. But yeah, you can usually tell the age of, especially the southern cassowary, but it's like size of that crest. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and their eggs are fucking crazy. <laughs> you guys remember like emus had emerald green eggs. These yes. guys have lime what? green eggs. Why? That's cool. <laughs> How? What? Uh, Mother Nature, you are a tricky. That does not look real. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that is why all oh, the chicks are so cute. Chicks are so cute. And this is just the different life stages. So oh. interesting how they develop their color, too. Yeah, because they got the stripes when they're young, and they believe it's the, the blend in with the foliage, and then they slowly yeah, get yeah. their black coat as they get older. Well, if you have heard of cassowaries, it's probably because of their reputation as a vicious murder bird filled with the, to the brim with malice. In the 1958 Ernest Thomas Gillard book, he wrote, Inner or second of the three toes is fitted with a long, straight, murderous nail which can sever an arm or eviscerate an abdomen with ease. There are many records of natives being killed by this bird. And I have, of course, a picture of this murder knife. <laughs> Those things are oh brutal looking. Oh, do you not you look at that? It'd be like five that inches long. Oh my god. Yeah. That is a dinosaur, right? <laughs> wow. 
yeah, a cassowary can and will fuck you up if it feels like it. <laughs> Despite this fearsome reputation, actual recorded attacks are not that high. In 2003, we had a historical records of 221 cassowary attacks, 150 being against humans. And that's like all time that we have records of. So 75% of these had been from cassowaries that had been fed by people. 71% of the time, the bird had chased or charged their victim. And 15% of the time, they kicked. Of the attacks, 73% involved the birds expecting or snatching food. 5% involved defending their natural food sources. 15% involved defending themselves from attack, and 7% involved defending their chicks or eggs. Only one human death was reported among 150 attacks. People consider these things like vicious murder birds. Y'all, don't feed the wildlife. It's right? <laughs> so the first documented human death caused by cassowary was on April 6, 1926, in Australia. 16-year-old Philip McLean and his brother, aged 13, came across the cassowary on their property and decided to try and kill it by striking it with a bat. Smart. I'm already in the bird's favor. Um, yep, bird yep. kicked the younger boy, who fell and ran away as his older brother struck the bird. The older McLean then tripped and fell to the ground. While he was on the ground, the cassowary kicked him in the neck, opening a half-inch wound that may have severed his jugular. The boy died of his injuries shortly after. Okay, yeah. Um, despite their people constantly talking about their claws and cutting your abdomen open, the strikes abdomen are the rarest attacks that we see. In one case, there was a dog that was kicked in the belly in 1995. It left no puncture, but sev severely bruise, bruise occur bruising occurred, and the dog did die from maternal injuries afterwards, but it's not something we actually see. Okay. Now, there was another de human death to, uh, due to a cassowary, which was recorded in Florida on April 12, 2019. The bird's owner was a 75-year-old man who raised the animal and was apparently clawed to death after he fell to the ground. Like most animals... Yep, yep. Cassowary is commonly misunderstood, and this vicious reputation really isn't warranted, and nearly all, all recorded attacks are incited by humans. With food, or to defend, <laughs> defend their youngs, or you know, you raise an exotic animal in your house. Yep. It's also six feet tall. <laughs> yep. And can jump real high, and looks like a dinosaur. It's, I, I, I know I you feel expected. Like, <laughs> right, it, yeah, it's like, what, what have we learned from all of this? Maybe don't, um... Raise wildlife. There's a reason they're exotic wild animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just let them, let them be. Leave them alone. It's got an anvil for a head and Freddy Krueger claws. Like, just... Yeah, just don't, <laughs> don't. Yeah, like most any animal, even humans, we would react similar in the same situation, so we can't blame the cassowary for its attacks. Ooh. They can be lethal. when um, It is a big animal with a lot of power. So, like any wild animal... With space and respected, and like, fucking listen to the local warnings. Don't feed feed the wildlife. Um. Anyways, but eighteen thousand years ago, we farmed these fucking things. <laughs> so today in New Guinea, cassowaries are still raised. So it's not unheard of. The recent study just might indicate the practice have gone on far longer than we may have realized, and it's all thanks to ancient fragments of shells. Scientists from the Pennsylvania State University first noticed that eggs earlier in development were cooked in their shells, and eggs further along were not, potentially indicating that these eggs were being kept for the purpose of hatching. I have a map here of New Guinea that shows kind of the sites where they're uh, referencing these egg shells. Okay. 
The egg remains were discovered during excavations of two rock shelters known as Yuku and Kiowa on New Guinea where prehistoric humans are known to live. The sites offer insight into these ancient people's diets with remains of bats, marsupials, and birds. Amongst these were the remains of eggshells and cassowaries, most likely the dwarf cassowary on the basis of the bone fragments found alongside them. Like many other birds, newly hatched cassowaries can imprint on people, so chicks hatched and raised by people will be friendlier and maybe even grow attached to their adoptive parents. The exact purpose of raising the chicks is unclear, but as modern New Guineans use cassowaries for food, traditional ceremonies, and trade, it's possible that their ancestors could have done something similar. Which, this find is pretty amazing. <laughs> like, pushbacks are estimates of poultry farming by almost 10,000 years. And, Jesus. you know, but this milestone may not actually hold this place for a long time. There's recent evidence that may indicate, indicate that Neanderthals and humans harvested rock doves in Gibraltar, going back as far as 68,000 years, so... I don't know anything about ancient humans, guys. Still wow, figuring that shit that out. Is, that is wild. Yeah, so this is a burgeoning study. Um, nothing can ever be said definitively when it comes to human history, especially when we go that far back. But we can look at some of the tribes of New Guinea that still have a close relationship with the cassowary today. It's really difficult to find information on this, Made all the more complicated by the sheer number and diversity of tribes in New Guinea. This is a country which has 1,083 languages and only 12 of them overlap. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so Papua New Guinea is a cultural and biological marvel. Due to the ruggedness of the terrain, much of the original species and distinct tribes have managed to survive all these years. While occupying less than 0.5% of the world's land, it comprises 10% of its species. 10% of the entire planet on this tiny fucking island. Dang. So its landscape incorporates most every biome you can think of, from lush jungle valleys to alpine peaks, going from its coral-studded sea level to 4,000 meters or 13,000 feet in its greatest mountains. This is a land of extremes. Yet, despite its small size, so much of it is still unexplored. From 1998 to 2008 alone, 1,060 new species were identified in 10 years. Estimated that more than half of the island's amphibians have yet to be documented. And almost more miraculous, 95% of the land still belongs to the indigenous tribes. Oh, thank goodness, there is a place. <laughs> yeah, I've got some good stories here. Good. Um, so it's also these same tribes that are leading conservation efforts, and it's pretty amazing the way that they're working to preserve their heritage, land, and its species. From 2015 Australian Geographic article, these conservation efforts have been going on for five years, and by that, by that point, and already they were seeing nat native flora and fauna begin to bounce back in ways that they hadn't seen, like, they, they hadn't seen decades kind of thing. Like, my grandpa used to talk about hunting these monkeys so far back, and we just never saw them growing up, and now they're everywhere. So, wow. you know, these conservation efforts are working, and it's all thanks to those tribes working together and doing, you know, doing a lot of things that they've always done that naturally keeps things sustained, sustained instead of, you know, over-harvesting and stripping a land of resources. Right. So yeah, among all these vast fauna are all three species of cassowary. But yeah, I was curious how they managed to raise such nat naturally solitary and territorial birds. Finding anything about the modern practice was very tricky. But what I did find was some pretty amazing pictures from mid to late 1900s. 
Uh, Edwin Cook was an American anthropologist that lived between 1932 and 1984. Cook devoted his career to anthropological, anthro, anthropological work focusing on kinship and social structures of the Manga tribe in Papua New Guinea and spent years with these tribes. The majority of the image doc documents social life and customs of the Kwiwap and the Nyarok speaking people, mainly in the Western Highlands province. So I, he, all his slides have been fucking scanned and I've got these pictures from the range from 1961 to 1972. And I just kind of went through a bunch of them and like found the ones that had cassowaries in them and there was a lot. I'll share them here, but um, I also found uh, one of his uh, works that he wrote up in 1960, which specifically talked about cassowaries. So cassowaries occupy an unusual position. They are not bred in captivity and the manga claim that they are unable to distinguish male from female. The only way to obtain one is by capturing it live in the bush as a chick or by purchasing it from someone who has done so. When sold as a chick, the price of a cassowary is second only to the price of a bride, though of course much less. <laughs> After the chick is obtained, it is turned over to a woman who cares for it, training it to follow her about. When the bird begins to mature and its plumage changes from the dusty fawn color to the adult black, a pen is built and the bird is incarcerated for the rest of its life. In its adult form, the feeding responsibilities devolves upon the man who is its owner. Cassowaries are only rarely killed and eaten. Their plumage is used in warfare headdresses and shield decorations. More pictures here. Yeah, like that first one there. That's kind of the what the pens look like. Okay. Wow. It, they, it just blows my mind that there are these pictures of these like really isolated tribes and just right. of their life. And it's so cool. Oh my gosh, look at that. Woman with a baby in one hand and a kid a cassowary in the other. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. These pictures that's are That's just two incredible. babies. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and the little chicks, yeah. This one's so cute. Oh. We're sleeping on his lap. Oh. Wow. So, cassowaries, pigs, and dogs are the only animals that are given personal names. Kinship terms are even never extended to them, though. But they do have names, which is unusual. And cassowaries are noted for their ill-tempered and vicious disp dispositions, and they are the birds of war. The killing of cassowaries is directly tied to the attainment of strength in the conduct of war. The cassowaries were strangled and hung up by their necks so that their feet just touched the ground. They were then outfitted in male apparel and heavily decorated with plumes and shells. This, when these preparations had been completed, the old sorcerer spoke to the ancestors, recounting the past history of conflicts with their enemies and seeking their continued assistance in future, future encounters. And I've got a picture of this as well, of their, like, dressed up cassowary. Yeah, they very rarely killed them, but when they did, it was, it was a, it's a ritual for war. Okay. Wow. So this led me to a blog that's ran by an indigenous woman, Joyce Lynn Lee. She had a post about cassowaries specifically and had this to say. Uh, cassowaries are very important to the native people of New Guinea, both economically and ritually. Cassowaries have been traded for pigs and even as a bride price for a wife, in compensation payment especially in highland provinces. Some tribes hunt them for their meat, which is considered delicacy. They use the feathers to decorate headdresses and, some, and the feathers for quills and earrings. The sharp claws are often placed at the tips of arrows, while the strong leg bones are used as daggers. For many native people, cassowaries are full of legends and mystical powers. Some tribes believe that cassowaries are the reincarnations of female ancestors, while others believe that cassowary is the primal mother. These tribes do not hunt or deal in trade with cassowaries. So, 
across this island, the tribes all have very different perspectives and respects, but what's kind of universal there is they have a lot of respect for this bird. Um, I have a picture of one of the bone daggers. Bone daggers were once widespread in New Guinea. The purpose was both symbolic, symbolic and utilitarian. They functioned as objects of artistic expression with the primary function of stabbing and killing people at close quarters. And most daggers were shaped from the uh, tibiotaurus of cassowaries, or tibiotarsus. Now, the only other thing that was preferred more than cassowary bones was human leg bones, <laughs> I found out, <laughs> of respected people. Like, it had to be a great warrior kind of thing. Which was gotcha. pretty cool. There was a whole other avenue. <laughs> I didn't have time to go down. Huh. Yeah. Um, she also shared... Really cool. Right? The carvings are amazing. It's so intricate. I like it. <clears throat> so she also had a New Guinean legend about how the cassowary became a flightless bird. So long ago, the cassowary was a big bird with a long neck, large legs, and big wings which enabled it to fly, like all other birds of the forest. At the time, the cassowary and the hornbill were best friends, and spent most of their time flying around together, feeding on delicious fruits at the tops of trees. They were very close friends, but as time passed, the hornbill became increasingly jealous of the cassowary, who, with his long neck, could stretch and reach the best of the fruit pickings. The poor hornbill had to be content with leftovers. While the, while the hornbill hid his jealousy, he began to plan a trick to, pu to punish the cassowary. One day, the hornbill broke two dried sticks off of a tree branch and placed them underneath each wing under its feathers, and then flew off to meet the cassowary. And he says, I have an idea, the hornbill said to the cassowary. After we have fed on the fruit and are fully satisfied, let us do some stylish tricks in the airs to see who is more brave and skilled. Sure, the cassowary said, liking the idea. But, added the hornbill, each of us must break our wings to do so to see how far they can fly with broken wings. The cassowary had no objection to this idea, so when they had eaten enough fruit and they were ready for their game, the hornbill villain volunteered to go first. Pretending to break his two wings, he snapped the dry twigs beneath his wings and then flew away. He performed some stylish tricks in the air and then flew to a nearby tree to perch. The hornbill then called for the cassowary to try and outwit his tricks. The cassowary, ignoring the pain he had to suffer, broke his own wings one by one. Then he stretched the wings to fly away, but he only crashed to the ground. He could not lift his weight with his broken wings. Hornbill broke into laughter at the top of his voice. He said, you have always had the most and the best of the fruit, but now you can stay on the ground and feed on my waist while I enjoy the best of the forest. And from that day until today, cassowaries has been a bird on the ground with wings that could not fly. <laughs> I'm not sure the moral of this story, but... Turn on your friends who have more, I don't know. <laughs> I, the, all of those, those folktales are just so interesting because they came from a very... A very particular point of view mm. and you know all storytelling at that point was oral so you would pass these stories it, it's it's just so fascinating how um the cultural folklore is built and then um how it how it changes over time and culture it's so interesting yeah it's such a reflection of the history and the relationship Absolutely. with other the, the environment and people So, while in some areas of New Guinea, cassowary are still farmed and hunted, they aren't as plentiful everywhere. In Queensland, Offren, and Chapman areas of Australia, the southern cassowary is considered endangered. Cassowaries depend greatly on rainforest environments, and recent studies indicate that only 20-25% to 25 of the habitat that they once inhabited remains. 
Habitat loss is the biggest threat to the cassowary population. Adult cassowaries have no natural predators, but that doesn't mean that they don't have unnatural predators. A study was done on the remains of 140 cassowaries and their causes of death break down as this. 55% were motor vehicle accidents. 18% were dog attacks. Remaining deaths were hunting, entanglement in wire, removal of cassowaries that attacked humans. Only 12% of the deceased birds examined were determined to have died of natural causes. So as much as we talk about how these, these things are going to fucking kill you, we've been killing them, actually. <laughs> right, right. We are the most destructive animal by far. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So signs encouraging people to not speed in cassowary habitats can be seen up in North, northern Australia where they live. There's a slogan that says you should be cassowary while driving. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the biggest ways that we can protect cassowaries is to not feed them. Like we said, people have been known to feed the birds, and then they become inc- more inclined to investigate when they see people. And, well, we already know that you never get between a cassowary and its food, or really anything in its food. Right. So, yeah, like, you give it food, it then comes and attacks you or someone because they think it has food, then they get killed because rangers have to kill animals that attack people vicious cycle so don't give them food you're not helping anybody exactly other yeah, threats which is surprisingly right <laughs> so another threat which is surprising is feral pigs oh seven in 1777 captain james cook released a breeding pair of pigs into the wild of australia and since then the population has exploded like it's done pretty much fucking everywhere um much like any other animal introduced to an environment that it's not native to these feral pigs rain havoc wherever they go can and will eat most anything so roaming the countryside um they devour and tear up local fauna destroying habitats and the for with the force of a wildfire before moving on to the next area and it's not just the local wildlife that's impacted by this areas trampled of its natural fauna become exposed and has led to water water erosion which can change the landscape forever and puts anything near it at risk of floods and mudslides they also have been known to ravage farmlands. Since 1987, Australia has considered feral pigs to be the biggest mammalian pest to Australia's agriculture. So guys, don't release animals that don't belong in the wild. Do that. Your cats indoors as much as you can. Don't turn. Don't put your snakes out in the swamp. No, don't. Um, don't flush alligators to... down the toilet. No. Alligators it's such an toilet. issue with the sewers, guys. Our city can't afford that. Um, when it comes to threatening cassowaries, feral pigs destroy habitats, but not just that, since cassowary nests are little more than ruts in the rainforest floor, they become a feast for passing pigs, whether it be the eggs or the chicks hanging around the nest. Pigs also provide intense competition for food sources, cassowary's primary diet being fruit, and low-hanging fruit most important for feeding their chicks. And efforts to deal with the pig situation has also caused issues as hunters bring dogs with them to track the feral pigs, and these dogs have been known to take out any cassowary chicks that they find along the way. Hmm. And while at first you might think that the crocodiles are helping solve the issue by snapping up the pigs whenever they can, it's also caused the crocodile population to boom. So wherever these pigs proliferate has effectively turned the ecosystems upside down. So now there's way more crocodiles, and these pigs are destroying everything. Oh my gosh. There are efforts to combat that, and obviously we do have challenges, though. So one effort is repopulation and obviously raising awareness. Cassowaries don't do great in captivity, though. Natural habitat is lush jungles, and it's hard to reproduce this in enclosures. 
And the birds by nature are very solitary and territorial, thus making them aggressive. They don't cohabitate well with any other animal, really, and not even each other. In the wild, a female will select a mate. They will do the deed, and he will hang around at a distance waiting to see if she lays eggs. And he has to keep his distance or else she will, she will violently put him in his place. Once she lays all the eggs in the nest of the male, ma the male maid, she will then wander off. The male then sits on the eggs for 50 days. Abandoning the nest for even a short period of time puts the eggs at risk to creatures of all kinds, from snakes to pigs. Cassowaries can frequently scare these creatures off if they are caught. The biggest threat is another female coming across the eggs. She will pick them up with her beak and smash them one at a time. While the male is helpless to do anything, as the females are bigger and more dangerous. They're very catty animals. If That's the intense. eggs... Yeah. What? I watched this video, that I'll be sure to post something, um, but it was like a 45-minute mini-documentary about cassowaries and focused on a couple cassowaries and, like, through a breeding season and just the shit that came up <laughs> and just the way that, you know... They can, they're such assholes, <laughs> but also <laughs> have to be in a way. <laughs> yeah. So if the eggs do hatch, the dad cares for them for a period of nine months, after which they are able to go out on their own. Chicks are raised in the female's territory, which ranges in size, but is estimated to be around 3,000 acres. The female will not be present for the rearing and will often wander off to mate with another male in another part of her territory. Cassowaries don't mate for life. Females usually have several partners, though it's not uncommon for a female to return to a male she finds favorable. This can be dangerous, though, if that male is still rearing young. Like many other animals, female cassowaries will kill the chicks for an opportunity to mate, even their own. Yeah. Wow. So, you can imagine keeping multiple cassowaries in the same enclosure is a bad idea. Also, it's why it's so difficult to get them to mate in captivity. Some reserves have found ways around this, though, and it involves a very elaborate process of carefully identifying when both animals are ready to meet, introducing them with barriers between them, see if they're favorable, they are then pinned together for the mating process, female will lay an egg every couple days, and the keepers will then swap the eggs out with emu eggs that have been blown out, refilled with water, and painted until the final egg is laid. Three to five eggs is kind of common, so like over a period of like two weeks to lay eggs. Oh, wow. And this is to protect the eggs until it's time for the male to incubate them. The real eggs are put. Uh, the real eggs are all put back when all the eggs. Real eggs are all put back at the end, and the nest is then enclosed with a veiled barrier so the male can't see the female outside, and vice versa. When the eggs are a couple days from hatching. The keepers will retrieve them and hatch them in an incubator. The reserve that I was reading about said that their male was a lousy dad, and any time he was left to hatch the eggs on his own, he'd end up pecking and injuring some of the chicks. It also makes it more difficult to provide care for the birds, as the male will take any proximity as threat. So the reserve wants to keep a close eye on the birds during their development, ensure that they're healthy and growing as expected, so taking them away right before hatching seems to be the least stressful solution for all parties. Also, chicks that are hand-raised are more easily trained and less aggressive with their human keepers. Okay. Somebody said dad back to parent school. Dang. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Despite all well, this that's trouble, why mom's banging all the other dads. <laughs> you gotta find the right one. Okay. Well, and she returns to the best dads, too. The ones that are most successful, okay. even though she may be killing her own chicks. <laughs> um. <laughs> so despite this trouble, 26 different reserves and zoos have joined in the study of, and breeding of cassowaries. They have an elaborate breeding program designed to ensure as much genetic diversity as possible. 
and, all, and use their captive verbs to learn more about them and educate the public. So the other way of, of course, helping the cassowaries is getting their fucking habitat back. So it's clear that the people, the indigenous people of New Guinea and Australia know some things that we don't when it comes to the cassowary, and they have been greatly involved in raising awareness and conservation efforts for the flightless bird. Many tribes feature cassowaries as a central part of their culture and belief system. Cassowary bones and feathers are common in traditional cultural adornments, and many of the traditional practices have connections to the cassowary, with dances and songs dedicated to the birds. The indigenous people of Australia recognized early on the importance of the cassowary, how it was vital to the survival of the rainforest and the people that lived there. The cassowary is responsible for spreading the seeds of more than 200 species of fruit-bearing plants in the rainforest. 200 species of fruit de de depend yeah, on these I'm birds like, to spread their seeds. What? Jesus. That is, yeah. If you just said 20, my mind would have been blown. <laughs> right? So, like, the birds live predominantly on these fruits, and as they move through the jungles and they're often large territories, their droppings are left behind, which grow into new trees. Um, and <clears throat> natives also rely on these trees as a major food source, and thus garnered a great respect for the bird. A total random fun aside, a cassowary conservation group found that if you retrieved the droppings and just put them in a flower pot, before long there would be trees growing out of them. Once the sapling was sturdy enough, the conservation group would then replant it in the cassowary's territory. Basically, the cassowaries were helping reforest their habitats. <laughs> These are often called cassowary trees. <laughs> there are dozens of tribes that still live in the area of Northern Australia, uh, Northern Australia, and each has their own words and names, of course, for the birds. So this is some of them. Um, the Jira tribe calls them Gundai. Uh, and I have a quote here from Whitney Rassip of the Jiro tribe, when she says, Growing up, I was told that the Gundai is a very important to us as rainforest people, my father and grandfather's family. But I didn't experience the feeling until I started learning my country. Now I realize the connection and role of the Gundai in the rainforest. Every time I see a Gundai, I know that my culture is still alive, which is why I try to do as much as I can to ensure its survival, now and into the future. The Jira people is one of the many tribes that are involved in this fight. Like many indigenous tribes around the world, the Jira suffered greatly at the hands of colonizers, losing their lands, culture, language, and lives in the bloody expansion that swept across Australia. But they're beginning to regain ground, literally. In September 2011, after a long fight, the Jira people were finally recognized as the native title holders of their traditional lands in the Mission Beach area of Australia. The state returned eight parcels of land to the tribe. Two largest parcels support the Gundai, and they work with local communities to raise awareness and to, to continue to reclaim the history and culture. And part of that is tied deeply into the rainforest and its inhabitants. Um, a picture here from a news article. They basically just started going around cleaning up the area, replanting trees, um, working with like government officials and stuff. Very cool. Quote, we must protect and enhance remaining coastal rainforests to ensure access for the Jiro people to reconnect and maintain, sea country, maintain the sea country culture, not only for us, the people, but as well for the animals that access the ocean from the rainforest, for example, the Gundai. Cassowary is part of us. We look upon the cassowary as part of our tribe. Part of us, we have the interaction with them. It's been with us for thousands of years, says Jiro elder John Andy. They raise money and awareness by hosting art exhibits and a cassowary festival. 
indigenous people, uh, indigenous artists display their work and offer opportunities for people to learn about their culture in the rainforest, which is so often taken for granted. And I've got some of this art and it's fucking amazing. Oh, that's really cool. That is so cool. Ah, oh, the colors. Rainforest Rescue is one of the many programs that work to restore rainforests and one of the primary causes that is helping the cassowary. Um, there is also the Agirangan Aboriginal Corporation, which is a collective with representatives from nine of the North Queensland Indigenous groups, including the Jiru. Um, they also work to, you know, raise awareness and help save the environment and its animals, especially in their tribal areas. So obviously there'll be links on the website if you want to donate towards these efforts or learn more about them. So yeah, there's, there's still hope for the Southern Cassowary, but this is something obviously people need to be aware of. And loss of the southern cassowary could cause a collapse of Australia's remaining rainforests as the vegetation loses its primary method of seed dis dispersal. By the rainforests, we lose countless other fauna and flora. And for the Jiru and Australia's other rainforest people, they lose a heart large part of their heritage. Right. We managed to have a relationship with this bird for 20,000 years. And not always a good one. So we better not fuck this up or we're going to lose them forever. Yeah, absolutely. How many are in the wild right now? I think there's roughly 3,000. Um, not that many, no. no. They're hard to track because they occupy such large territories and um, sure. they're good at hiding. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Despite being a massive bird. And they live in the <laughs> depths of the jungles. So, That's Yeah, there's lots of conservation funny. efforts trying to save them. Yeah. I just love how much the indigenous cultures and tribes have been involved in this. It's not only right. just helping those animals and those ha those habitats, it's also helping them regain some of their culture that they've lost because colonizers. Right. Yeah, that's the cassowary. <laughs> My so random cool. project. <laughs> yeah, so they're really cool, cool These birds. that you found are amazing. Right? I like, couldn't believe like I was like I was trying something to find about how they were farming them and stuff, but like I was mm -hmm. having such a hard time, and then I came across this and like, well, I have to include this because yeah, it's just such yeah. an insight into like a, a thing that most people never see. Right. That is so cool. Yeah, they, there's hundreds of different slides. Like I'll put the links up on the website and stuff of just the other things to do with tribal culture and like food and everything. Like the guy was like camera happy, and it's amazing. We have that documentation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would love to look at those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so there we go. Yes, where Birds, <clears throat> graves, and maple syrup. Yep. <laughs> Our episode combos are so fucking random. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. We never can... stick to a theme. <laughs> no. I called. I called the folder the sticky, the dead, and the feathered. I fucking <laughs> love that. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, there's your episode title. Oh, God. <laughs> now I've got to figure out. I've got to figure out a cover that goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. Next week we're back with an unsolved mystery that has haunted my friend's family for nearly sixty years. 
As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story that you want us to cover, want to tell us that we're wrong, or you just want to say hi, you can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get out on the fun, come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend.